When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on vaccine access, asking guests to remove their shoes in your home, a bride throwing a shower for herself, and how to politely turn down a potential pyramid scheme offer. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about posting on the wedding website when plans have changed. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we discuss everyday gratitude and the book 365 Thank Yous by John Kralik. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you in this wonderful year of 2021 from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. How's it going? (laughs) It's going great. We decided to record this episode actually after the holiday for once, so we actually get to talk about the holiday within the week that it happened. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm excited. It was so wonderful to see you on New Year's. We did an outdoor masked on extravaganza, I feel like, but it was it was it was so much fun. I am still smiling from it. <laughs> Somehow, you know, you get uh, 10 people together all again, appropriately masked and apart, but it feels like a big event in our wives. It felt like our family, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a little background. I could not help myself. I had some idle hands between the day of Christmas and the New Year's holiday, and I found myself enlisting my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter on an adventure mission to the nearest fireworks store where we acquired (laughs) a not small (laughs) supply of medium-grade commercially available fireworks. Thanks very much to the fact that they do curbside pickup. And I just – we need to break before you continue on with our New Year's adventure plot. And can you, Dan, just maybe – because honestly, in the five, almost six years that we've been doing this show, I don't think that we've ever talked with our audience about our genetic predisposition to fireworks, courtesy of our grandfather born on the 4th of July. We like to explode things in the Post family. It's true. <laughs> like, do you want to maybe paint the picture of your love of fireworks? Because you, with the with the catalog as a kid and the hour and a half detour every year to the vineyard to go to the fireworks store, I mean, this has been a huge part of your life, and I don't think we've ever told the audience about it. I mean, really... <laughs> 
this could go so many directions. And <laughs> I, I, I've said a couple of days ago when I was talking to you on the phone, I said, whatever you do, don't give me license on the podcast to talk about fireworks, please. So, of course, you know what I decided I was doing first thing on our introduction today. <laughs> But it's true. When we got talking about it, it's something I've really enjoyed. I, and um, when you bring up Poppy, I mean, I have this very early memory of Poppy and Chris, a good friend of his, Chris Curtis, getting a blasting license so they could remove rocks from the, the little chip and putt oh, yeah. golf course they maintained. And they were blasting rocks. And I just remember going up there to watch them use Blast dynamite. Rocks. <laughs> And maybe that was where it began. I thought Chris was the funniest person I'd ever heard in my life. He made a joke about blowing stuff up with dynamite into my little three, four, whatever, four or five year old ears. Bugs Bunny influenced mind. It was the coolest (laughs) thing I had ever heard in my entire life. Um, And you also have to picture like our, our grandfather was this very elegant man. He was very tall and very lean and he, he did not move quickly ever. Um, But he also really loved to blow stuff up and it got it like, it it was an exciting moment. Fireworks on the 4th of July. All of it, all of it. And so getting to actually, you know, get a permit, do some blasting and like, and do it right and everything it just he was you know well all kinds of all, all kinds of metaphors come to mind but he was a kid in a candy store and and it was a, a joyful expression and for us kids getting to be a part of that whether it was like you said a firework or or it was some kind of a landscaping work that they were doing on the property you saw a twinkle in that man's eye this was like highlight of lifetime anytime we got to blow something up and you know it's 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 on the other side of my family my father loves a good firework display yes, and um, totally. it was one of the things he and his father-in-law my grandfather connected over <laughs> no question yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah i used to have the catalogs as a kid and i would save up my money and plan my buys and it, it, it was a big deal and i put on little shows for family and friends and <laughs> I, I mean it all culminated i did an easter uh, an easter sunrise service fireworks display at the blush hill country club for a the congregation that went up there for a sunrise service when you're with the minister's son, all under the supervision of the minister of the church, who was also a bit of a f- fanatic. Um, so th- th- there, there is some history here. and There's a gleeful history here, yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. It was so much fun to do that mission with Niche and start to plan it. And then also to, to invite just a couple people over to to celebrate the new year and ring it in and do something safe and outdoors, but also something kind of special. And it really was nice to see you there and to have everyone enjoy it as much as they did was such a treat. Oh, it was so much fun. And all the, you gotta, you gotta understand there were the four little girls of the family of the Senning family, all dancing with sparklers and cheering and screaming as loud as they could. I mean, it was, it was a scene that was a gaggle. It was was a total scene and it was so much fun. And it did, it honestly really had that feeling of uh, family and celebration. And so I, I really appreciated getting an invite to that. It really made my New Year's something very, very special. And it was also really fun because y'all have little kids. So it was 
over by seven and everyone was in cars and on their way home. Isn't it nice? Like an, an early, and then I got to spend the rest of New Year's, you know, curled up with a grazing platter in front of just me and the, and the dog and cats, and it was great. A warm fire, um, your favorite TV. Yeah. Yep. But it, and it was snowy up where you were. It's snowy down here in the valley now, but it was snowy up in the mountains, so it, was, it had that snow magic to it. Um, any of you who, who tapped into the Instagram actually got to see the, the, the end of the fireworks display, so it was it was a lot of fun, and I really appreciated the invitation. Thank you for for helping all of us to ring in 2021 um, with a lot of cheer. It was it was really great. It was really great, cuz. Thank you. Well, thanks for giving me an excuse to play with my favorite toys. <laughs> I have a feeling that that doesn't have to be just a holiday celebration. Anytime you want to, anytime you want to fire off fireworks, you just let me know. <laughs> you, you know me. I'm all about restraint and joy. So no, you gotta you gotta follow the rules. Well, we could talk again on the fourth or maybe next year around this time. I don't know. I like the Easter one. We could do some Easter fireworks. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. <laughs> some birthdays between here and there. Groundhog Day. That's one to celebrate. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Speaking of let's do it, there are some, oh, questions, we get to some questions we have to get to. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. 
Just remember, use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled, Vexed About the Vaccine. Happy New Year, Awesome Etiquette team. I'm writing with a question that I hope will be irrelevant in just a few months, but that's given me some trouble in the meantime. This morning, I got the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, which is so exciting after this difficult year. My question is how to talk about my early access with friends and coworkers. I'm not an obvious candidate to get vaccinated in the first rounds. I'm in my 30s and not a healthcare worker or a first responder. But my job puts me in the continuity of government category that many states are using to help prioritize access. To be honest, I wrestled with whether or not I should get it now instead of waiting until it's available more generally to my demographic, but ultimately decided to be grateful for the opportunity to help protect my family and my community as soon as possible. That said, I'm not sure how to handle questions that I anticipate will come my way in the coming weeks. Already, coworkers and friends have started making comments criticizing the way our state is making access decisions, asking why they aren't considered essential, or even just lamenting that there still appear to be months ahead before it will be available to the general public. Others have asked directly whether and when I plan to get the vaccine once it's available. My initial instinct was not to talk about it at all in an effort to avoid hurt feelings and the pressure to defend why I got it before others in more vulnerable categories. But I don't want to lie or be misleading as these topics come up, which I expect may be fairly often in the new year. I'd also like to be able to talk confidently about my decision to get the vaccine around my family and friends in the vaccine-cautious category to hopefully encourage them to feel confident about it, too, when their time comes. Do you have any advice about how to approach these conversations with kindness and tact? Best wishes, Cassie. Cassie, thank you so much, and congratulations on being an early yeah. candidate. This question is so packed. There's so much good etiquette here that I, I, I almost feel like say, we could spend the whole show talking about all the different angles. I feel like so much of Cassie's uh, email to us was that first step of the five-step process where you're really thinking about who's involved and how are they affected. And this mm -hmm. is a moment where she's thinking about all the all the people who are who are potentially involved, who she could keep out of it. You know, it's like you she really is thinking about the kind of expanse of it as opposed to just her at the center of it, you know? Absolutely. And oftentimes we say that when you're wrestling with something new or unfamiliar, whether that's because it's new conditions and everyone's wrestling with it or whether it's because it's new to you, it's the first time you've encountered something like it in your life, etiquette can be a real guide. And I do think there is some advice that we can give that comes from the world of etiquette that can be really helpful with a number of these questions, even with there being a lot of it depends and on this side, there might be this right. coming into play <laughs> and on that side, there might be that coming into play. Um, some, some big picture things that are really easy, but also that are important to say is that because this is a, a health and a personal health issue and question that in a lot of cases, you get to decide. You, the choice is up to you how much you want to talk about this and how and when and where you want to do that. And people are going to understand that. The idea that for the most part, healthcare decisions are considered personal and private. And we do live in a really interesting time where we're dealing with a public health emergency. And mm -hmm. some of those lines can feel confusing, blurred, gray. 
but when we're talking about etiquette and we're talking about the social sphere, when we're not talking about the information that goes on a form that you're submitting to whatever, your daycare hospital or someone who you're accountable to in terms of your health, it really is up to you. So you do get to decide and thinking about it ahead of time is a really good idea. Figure out where your boundaries are, what it is that you want to say, what it is that you're comfortable saying, and maybe even practicing a little bit so that you get the tone mm-hmm. and the feel that you want right. Because that's going to get us into the second part of my advice, which is that if you're doing something new or for the first time, and I'm thinking in a parallel way to people who are new adopters of early technology or communication technology as someone who's trying a vaccine relatively early on, but wanting to be able to talk well about it, thinking about yourself as an ambassador, as a, as an early adopter who has a role to play in terms of how you represent your experience is, is something to really think about and to have a little bit of a sample script, both in terms of what it is you want to say and, and how you feel about it so that you're able to convey that effectively. I feel like Cassie, even in the language that she's she's written to us, has identified some of the things that might make for good sample language. Things like you might be surprised that I'm in the early availability category for the vaccine. It's my job that puts me in that position. And I even wrestled with whether or not I should or shouldn't get it and ultimately decided the safety move was to get it as, as soon as you could. You know, f- finding ways to say that or feel confident as you say it might help address if the topic comes up, you know, how did you end up here in this group? And one of the things that that Dan actually wrote in our notes that I think is really key is to not feel shame that you were given this availability to the vaccine early, this early access. It, it wasn't something you personally chose. You just happened to fit the criteria. And I think that that is uh, one of the ways that as if if conversations start coming up and you find yourself either wanting to be involved in them or having a hard time avoiding them, I think that no shame piece, Dan, that that you had written down was really a, a key component to it, delivering these words confidently and even maybe expecting a little bit of confusion from some people as as you had laid out for us, I think um, really kind of helps set the tone and, and helps us kind of catch up to where your life is in the in the realm of it or the scheme of it, excuse me. I think there's something really refreshing about your approach, the way you're both candid and honest about exactly why certain people were chosen to have this availability early, that it works for protecting the continuity of government and being able to talk clearly about those things, I think is one of the important parts of instilling some trust in a public health strategy. And ultimately that's what you're talking about here is recognizing that there are reasons this thing has been set up the way it's been set up and your willingness to accept that and go along with it is a decision that you've made. And I think there's a lot of important information that's communicated by the way you've made that decision or in the way that you've made that decision. So your ability to talk about that, if that's something you're willing to talk about, is is a really powerful thing. Your final question, Cassie, asks, so how, how do I approach these conversations with kindness intact? And the, the kindness is going to come from within. <laughs> and that's, that's something that, um, you know, I feel like when we feel like we're in a safe space, when we feel comfortable, I think it's a lot easier for us to access our kindness. So going back to those points about getting confident with uh, language you might use to enter various types of conversations, either being asked directly or if you hear people in a group talking about it, if you choose to speak up or not. 
but just getting the confidence with your wording about what you are comfortable, what you're not comfortable discussing regarding it, all that prep work, I think can help you access that kindness well when the time comes because you've kind of already got a plan for how to handle it. And in terms of, of tact, that's really more about that, again, that first step of, of our, our five-step process where you're kind of reading the room and you're, you're really thinking about the, the individuals who are involved and, and how this might affect them and just giving yourself that space to think. And, and being someone who clearly thinks about consideration and respect well, I think it'll get you to the place of being able to deliver in a way that's going to feel right for the situation and for how much of your own experience you want to expose. Um, the other thing when it comes to dealing with others is is knowing that this is a topic that people are concerned about, that there is some urgency around. Something that's charged for a lot of people, just giving the space around that kind of charged topic or a topic that has some urgency can also help and be a part of that tact, allowing other people to, to sort of have their experience and their thoughts and everything and just know that you're okay. You know, it can, it can be really, really tough, but that tact, I think, is about kind of really looking at the whole and and being prepared that, you know, people might not be their best when they're replying to you. And going back to that space of, I, I know why I did this. I know why I was offered the ability to be able to do this at this stage. And I'm I'm happy and confident with my choice. And I'm excited for other people to get to access that choice too. Um, I think those will be the things that that keep you in that zone of kindness intact. Cassie, thank you so much for this question. It's a really good one to start off 2021 with, and I think that we'll probably see some more like it before the year is over. Every step we take to prevent the spread of disease means increased happiness and greater living efficiency for all of us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is a classic, and it's about no shoes, please. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm so excited to be writing in today for the first time. I want to ask about wearing shoes in the house. I have seen this issue come up in many etiquette forums, and there is always conflicting information. So is it acceptable to ask your guests to take their shoes off if your house is shoe-free? Do you need to provide a reason, slippers, etc.? Or should you just request that they remove their shoes when they walk in? I typically don't mind taking my shoes off in others' homes, as I understand how dirty shoes can be. Once, I was working as a delivery person, and I was asked to take my shoes off to bring the bags to the kitchen. I found that odd. I also did not enjoy being asked to take my shoes off when I attended a house party in college. The floors were sticky, and there were 50-plus oh. people in the home. <laughs> Are there any limits to this practice? Thanks. Shoeless in Seattle. 
Oh, shoeless in Seattle. We're so with you. This is the like, like, I don't mind that often. Like, dance house is a no shoe house. You've got a lot of kids crawling on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a lot of carpeting. There's a lot of carpeting. It's, and it's like really quick after you enter. So it's not like there's, other surfaces to kind of absorb it. Um, it's it's like that. And I, I don't really mind like taking off my shoes if I'm coming to, well, in years past, when I was coming to work up at your house for the day or something like that. But I'm, I'm so with shoeless in Seattle that at like a 50-person college house party, you keep your shoes on for safety's sake. I mean, it's like you just don't know what bottle has dropped, you know? Um, and again, the floors are sticky. Like that's that's a place where I say, you're inviting that many people to your house. Your house is getting messy anyway. Let people keep their shoes on for safety's sake. And for me to like a dinner party where I've, I'm expected to dress up a little bit more, I would not expect to take my shoes off or I would I would at least be expected to be given a heads up ahead of time so I could bring a pair of indoor shoes. We've talked about that being a really nice mm-hmm. thing for hosts to say. So Dan might tell me if he's doing a special dinner party that's not like our normal holiday parties or something like that in our family and he's invited me up, he might say something like, hey, we are you know, still going to do the no shoes thing. If you don't mind bringing a pair of indoor shoes for the night, that'd be great. And that would put me at ease. I would be like, okay, I know what's going on. I'll bring my extra shoes. That'll be fine. But there could be lots of reasons why you get asked to take your shoes off in someone's home. And generally, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, our advice is that you run with what your host has asked, that you pay attention to your friend's home so that you know whether you should bring a pair of indoor shoes or not. I'm with you. The delivery one, maybe like, I mean, could the bags have been brought in without having to enter all the way into the kitchen to make you take your shoes off? I don't know. I don't know the circumstances of that one, but I'm I'm with you. I probably wouldn't make a delivery person take off their shoes for a quick drop off. But. It's such a dance and I, I, I wouldn't it is either. <laughs> and I'll also tell you that it's a real courtesy that a, a lot of um, trades and delivery people who work in the Northeast where sometimes you, you, you do, you wear a pair of boots and that you bring a, a pair of slip on things that go over boots. Yep. So if you're going to be I've going in and out of a house a bunch, there are all of these reciprocal courtesies around yeah. respecting the home and the cleanliness of the the hosting party, but also the the sort of privacy, the idea of like asking someone to take things off to come in and engage <laughs> with you. It, it's a real yeah. privacy. Some people don't want to take their shoes off for all kinds of reasons, just like some hosts don't want shoes on in their homes for all kinds for of all reasons. For all kinds of reasons. Yeah, so totally. all of the, the little accommodations that happen so that people can enter each other's homes and get work done and entertain and visit are, to me, they're, they're really phenomenal and delicious etiquette questions. As As you were talking, Lizzie, about the dinner party scenario, I was thinking to myself that so often as the formality of the event goes up, mm-hmm. the structure of that relationship starts to increase. And I think mm-hmm. about your mother bringing party shoes so that oh, yeah. she doesn't have to wear the boots that she wore outside inside. She would assume that she would be feet. wearing <laughs> shoes <laughs> and that would require that she bring something that she could wear as a, yeah. a host for that kind of a party. You wouldn't ask someone to take off their shoes. Yep. So you kind of need both people diverting from their usual one, bringing something extra one, maybe allowing for something to be worn. 
I know it's it's uh, the shoe shoes on shoes off will forever be a host guest debate. There will always be exceptions. There will always be reasons on both ends, often crossing into the the medical realm for why people would want to leave them on or leave them off. I mean, it 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 really kind of it's an it is a never ending etiquette conundrum that we have just because we have this ability to put things on and off of our feet. I had a grand my grandmother on my other side of the family thought it was, and I will use the term disgusting to have people's socked or bare feet on her floors and her carpets and things like that. And she, she thought shoes were the, like, you know, you needed your shoes. Even your guest room had little slippers you could borrow so that when you came downstairs for breakfast in the morning, you weren't in your bare feet. It was like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's, it really is sort of a, to each their own. If there's something that prevents you one way or the other for from complying. If you can, explaining that to your host and seeing if there's an accommodation that can be made is really thoughtful. And if you you can't, trying to find your own workarounds, um, like bringing an extra pair of clean shoes or something like that is is really a good way to go. But Shoeless in Seattle, you've you've given us one of our favorites to dive into, and it, it really is a never ending question. Like we could we could keep going. <laughs> there is a reason the etiquette forums are filled with discussion of this topic. <laughs> It's true. It's so very, very true. And I predict, cousin, that we will revisit this again. (laughs) Ah, but now in their pristine, unencumbered glory, let's take a look at human feet. Civilized feet pound the pavements and pay the price. Our next question is titled Wedding Shower Woes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Happy New Year! I need some guidance from you both on how to handle a situation in my family. One of my husband's extended family members has a daughter who is about to get married. I recently received a Facebook invitation from the bride for a virtual shower that she is hosting for herself. I know this is wrong on so many levels, yet at the same time, I feel like I am being snobbish and judgmental to think so. I want to, on principle, ignore this invitation, but that seems rude. I was thinking I could potentially ignore the invitation and send her a card or a gift on my own. The other thing is that I'm not even that close to her, but she is young and she is family. Those are woes. (laughs) Anonymous. Please advise. Thank you for the question. I am really appreciating this question because we are so often asked questions about how to deal with rudeness when... It's a stranger or someone in the street, but um, when we're confronted with something that's rude, sort of among the circle of people that we're interacting with socially, in this case is extended family, in many ways, it's one of the most difficult or challenging etiquette questions and hence one of the best etiquette questions if we want to put value judgment on them. (laughs) I had so many sympathies when I was reading this. I was like, oh, that is kind of cringeworthy. And yes, I feel snobbish and judgmental for thinking so. (laughs) Right. And there is some really good and clear etiquette here and we can just follow it and then from there work outward absolutely Um, as far as the invitation you respond to an invitation and you respond by saying no you're not going to go which is entirely appropriate you can say yes you can say no you can say i need a little more time and then get back to the person in the time that you've extended for yourself but generally speaking you don't ignore the the invitation. That would be the only really rude thing that you that you could do in this situation. Um, you don't need to get into the reasons why you're declining. Absolutely, absolutely. 
as far as whether or not you give a gift, that that really is entirely up to you if you're feeling yeah. inspired. And you might be. You might say to yourself, boy, you know, that wasn't totally appropriate for her to be throwing herself a shower. I don't want to go to that. But now that the whole thing has crossed my radar and I'm thinking about a family member getting married, it'd be a nice gesture to send a gift. That is an entirely appropriate thought to have and thing to do and, and even a really nice gesture. Definitely. So if it yeah. comes from a place of generosity in you and, and you can feel good about it, absolutely. That's a great way to kind of turn this whole situation around a little bit. The one thing that I really like about invitations is that we do get to say yes or no to them. And if they do make us uncomfortable for some reason, we we can decline that party. We can decline that 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 invitation. But what I, I like here, too, is that our, our question asker is saying, and I, I know I could do this, but I also, you know, I, I do have some of those warm fuzzies in certain places. It has the the faux pas of of throwing your own shower hasn't so extinguished distinguished the the celebration for this uh, young woman. And I think that that's I, I see some hope in there. And as you know, Dan and I like to say, lean in, lean in where you can for that kindness and that support. And if you feel you're able to send a gift but not attend, that's perfectly appropriate. So the only other thing, Dan, that that sort of a a family member might do for another family member in this situation is to give them the heads up of, of, hey, wait a second, I'd be happy to throw this for you. You don't have to throw your own shower for yourself. But that unless you are super close and this is coming in before invitations have been sent out, that's it's like not as easy a path to to go down at this point. Yeah. Um, I could see maybe someone wanting to clue in a younger member of the family of, oh, actually, wait, there's a better way to do this. And at this point, the invitations have gone out. It's a it's a bizarre year for celebrations. I agree. It still is. So we we have a lot of leeway in this. I still don't think that you should host your own virtual shower. But you know, maybe maybe she was the only person to host it for herself. And again, it's still not the direction you'd want to go. But um, but I I at this stage. I wouldn't try to correct the mistake. If this was happening to someone and a, a young niece or relative was was talking to you about it and saying, I'm just going to throw my own shower since nobody's doing it and no one will be able to, say, I'll throw it for you. I will <laughs> gather together people to host a virtual shower for you and I'll throw it for you. Etiquette um, cape. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But um, but I think that because we're not in that moment, that this, that wouldn't be something I would, you know, I would jump into pointing out as especially if, if you're not terribly close. Anonymous, thank you for the question. Whichever direction you decide to go, we hope that you have fewer wedding shower woes in the future. I don't understand. Well, the girls decided to give me a surprise shower. Wasn't that sweet of them? A shower, but we're not... Well, I, I told them they were rushing things a little, but they're convinced that it's only a matter of minutes until we're man and wife. Yeah. Our next question is a family business problem. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. First of all, thank you for a wonderful weekly podcast. I've been listening for six years and have always been a huge fan of your insightful answers. Today, I'm writing in for the first time about how to respond to pyramid scheme requests. My friends and I agree that we run into this issue all too often and have no idea what the proper etiquette is here. My father and his new wife are heavily involved in pyramid scheme type businesses. They have achieved a good deal of success and do well, and I'm happy for them, but it's not the path I want to take. 
They often try to convince me to sign up under them while we're visiting. For example, I'll make a joke about how our new favorite restaurant is yummy and affordable, and my dad's wife will say, if you get involved in the business, you won't need to worry about affordable. Or she will ask whether I plan to stay with my company for the next few years, only to spin my answer, regardless of what it is, to say that I should consider joining if I want to do better in life. Almost every question they ask me is a lead into their sales pitch. It's hard to have an authentic relationship with my father anymore. When this happens, my husband and I smile uncomfortably, give a noncommittal hmm or other answer, and change the subject. Should we be doing something more, or is the best etiquette to just avoid? We often visit them for weeks at a time, so it is getting tiring. Best, tired of the hard sell. Oh, tired of the hard sell. This is a tough one, especially because you've got the parental thing going on where it's like, can't you just see a dad and and like a stepmom wanting to be like, oh, but they could enjoy all the things we enjoy (laughs) if they just joined us, if they just joined us here, if they just joined us here. And and it's so hard when you are happy or confident or okay with how things are going in your own life to have someone dangle a carrot you don't want to eat. You know what I mean? It's like you do eventually you kind of want to swat it away. And I think that obviously the not polite thing to do would be to to really give it to them and tell them just how frustrated this is and how unenjoyable life is because all they talk about is joining the now business that they're a part of. And I, I think the answer I keep coming to when we think about this question is that you want to have that candid conversation with your dad. And if and 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 maybe with both of them if you are close with both of them and have good relationships with both of them, but I think really sitting down with your dad and talking about how important the father-daughter relationship is and how you do really like the opportunity to get to go to spend weeks on, you know, at a time with them, but that there's been a real consistent theme to the conversation and f- for you to feel comfortable coming back, that's going to have to change or that you're going to need to talk about more things and broaden the range of topics that you're talking about other than just finding new ways to join the business. Sometimes like a hard, a hard sell needs a firm no. And if you haven't been able to deliver that as of yet, or maybe it's been a little while since that first firm no was delivered, they might need to hear it a a little bit. um, I don't want to say more strongly, but clearly might be the way to put it. And to really find the things that you do want to focus on with them and keep driving, you know, the attention to those things. So if it's a sport or a hobby that you all do together, maybe you all love talking politics. I don't know. But it's whatever it is, lean lean into that is what I would is what I would go with a a conversation and then some real active redirecting of of conversations later on. (laughs) Correct. Correct me. I want to be sure I'm hearing you right here. Lizzie Post, are you saying that when you're part of a family (laughs) that also does a lot of business, (laughs) that you have to spend some time really working on defining the boundaries between that family life and that business life? We have had no experience in this whatsoever, ever in our 30, 30 plus, 40 plus years of life, ever. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right well, on. And, you and, need and, to set boundaries because you need to set boundaries with family and business. Well, <laughs> and I'm asking the question, I'm, I'm asking it in a cheeky way on purpose because I, I think another tactic in this conversation that can help is separating the discussion about 
um, keeping the, the family and the business relationships distinct or separate or at least making an effort mm-hmm. to carve out time for, for each that's appropriate. But that, that, that doesn't need to be a real loaded conversation about your opinions or thoughts about the particular business that he's involved in. They're in. Yeah. Yeah. This is there's so many family businesses and such a huge percentage of the US economy is family businesses, big and small. And yeah. All kinds of families have to work out these these dynamics. Um, these dynamics and, and how yeah. you can protect those family relationships and also sometimes support and acknowledge the importance of the business as well. And I think that there's a balance to be struck there and something I just sort of hinted at or, or, or made a nod to that I also wanted to say explicitly at some point in this answer is um, even even the language of calling something a pyramid scheme can be really offensive to, to someone. Yes. Because pyramid schemes really um, – they're, they're frauds and they ultimately leave some people exposed and, and taken advantage of and it's a language that's oftentimes used not – directly about something that's actually a pyramid scheme. You're right. That sometimes people use that language to talk about direct marketing. And there are some companies that operate on direct marketing models that are incredibly successful and are incredibly successful for the people that participate in them. And they're not for everyone. And a lot of people that participate understand those trade-offs. And um, I would just be really careful about that language in particular. And we, we didn't talk about the particulars of the business. It might be that he's involved in uh, pyramid schemes, Something which are really not great. dangerous yeah. and potentially trouble for everyone. But in which case, you might have some other conversations that you might might want to have. No, but but that would be some particular language that I would be careful about, or I would really investigate. Also, to keep that conversation one that that your your father is likely to be able to hear. Tired of the hard sell? We hope that you are able to make your family gatherings more about family and less about the business. The good salesman helps the buyer. The measure of his success is not how many sales he makes, but how many customers he satisfies. Such salesmen are serving throughout the whole of our economy. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, and we really hope you do, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. You can become a sustaining member by visiting Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash awesome etiquette. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we're hearing from Katie on the widower and his wedding ring question from last week. Dear Dan, Lizzie and friends, I too became a puddle of tears upon hearing the question from a husband mourning his wife and wondering about when he should remove his wedding ring. In fact, I have pulled over in my car to wipe my face and send this email. 
I'm safely in a parking lot. Don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> I've seen people in this situation never remove their ring. If they become ready to open their lives to a new partner, they just make that known. They ask someone on a date, tell their friends that they are interested, or take a friend for coffee after church. Ring still firmly on hand. I have seen people who chose to continue wearing that first ring even as a new spouse slipped a second ring on the same finger in marriage. Mm -hmm. The first ring remains to honor the life and love of the past as the new ring signified their new bright future. So to that original letter writer, I say you do you exactly as you want. And if someone comes into your life in such a way that you wish to join those lives in marriage, communicate. Talk to your new partner about both of your feelings. Maybe you will have already removed the ring. Maybe you leave it forever. It's up to you and your partner, and that is all. Best wishes for all the love, peace, and joy your life can hold. Sincerely, Katie S. Oh, Katie S., thank you so much for writing that in, and we couldn't, we just couldn't agree more. I'm so glad that this piece of feedback made the show, Katie. We heard from several people about that particular question, and I definitely think it touched a chord with many people. Thank you for your feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to talk about one of our favorite subjects, gratitude. Coming out of a year that had horribleness touch almost everyone on the planet, there was also a real emphasis on expressing what we are grateful for and seeking out where we could find gratitude. It's often a suggestion for those who are struggling to focus on what they may have or what we may have. And it really felt like the world did this together this year. And Dan, it reminded you of the book 365 Thank Yous by John Kralik. And you wanted to, to share that with us today. It, it sure did. And for people that listen to the show regularly, which we know because we can see the statistics um, is most <laughs> of the audience, uh, it was Earlier in the the holiday season, sort of in December, we did a postscript on gratitude around gift giving and gift exchanges, the importance of mm -hmm. gratitude in relationships. And it comes up a lot around the holiday season, the end of year around gift exchanges. But it's also true that gratitude is just incredibly powerful all the time. And the ability to take that skill that we ritualize and make a production out of over the holidays and make it part of our everyday life, part of how we conduct ourselves is often one of the challenges of transitioning out of a holiday season and into a new year. Um, right. And the book, 365 Thank Yous, as you can probably guess, is about a project of writing a thank you note or at least a thank you note a day, every day for a year, for 365 days. What better reminder or book or kick theme off to, to kick the, off to yeah. 2021 <laughs> then a, a reminder the the subtitle of the book is the year a simple act of daily gratitude changed my life i thought it was a good candidate for a very very brief reading to sort of kick off this thought for us and hopefully inspire us to take some of that holiday gratitude dan likes to give you all brief readings and i i'm gonna encourage him read as many as you can fit into our time frame because this, this is good stuff <laughs> well so but one of the reasons i keep this one i am keeping this one brief is that um 
and, and you'll see. I won't. I won't. I won't set up the reading too much. <laughs> but there's an everyday <laughs> quality to it, and yeah. it's one of the things that's so powerful about this book is that it's a reminder of how transformational really small everyday actions can be. So for John Kralik, the author of this book, the the inspiration came from a moment of life that was desperate, a moment of desperation. His life was at an absolute nadir, both uh, personally as well as professionally. And he was looking for something, anything to hold on to. And he was looking back at lessons he had learned in his life from his parents, from his grandparents. And he kind of latched on to the idea of gratitude being important, it being something that he learned as a child in his family value system. And he made a commitment to return to it. And the way he wanted to anchor that commitment that he made to himself was in the act of writing a thank you note every day. So our reading today begins at chapter four, where he's undertaken this project, this task that will ultimately prove to be transformative in surprising ways, not just um, sort of professionally. Oh, I feel better about myself. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and not just, oh, my, my, my job got better. I started to succeed more professionally. But um, sort of on a deep psychological level, he starts to find more satisfaction with all kinds of elements of his life and new ways to reconcile himself with people and the conditions of his life. It's a book about transformation, about the power of small actions to have really uh, powerful effects, transformative effects in life. So we begin with the first small action, a thank you note written for a Christmas gift. My first thank you note, like virtually everyone in America who was experiencing a good or bad year in 2007, I had received some Christmas presents, perhaps not very many and maybe not what I most wanted, but presents nevertheless. So I got started on my 365 thank you notes by saying thank you for my Christmas presents. I had never written thank you notes for Christmas presents, and no one else I knew wrote them either. Why not, I wondered. Giving holiday presents is the central commercial and social event of the year. Even when finances and the economy are desperate, cultural pressure tells us we must rally, sacrifice, and go into debt to maintain the annual Christmas gift ritual. But where is the equivalent tradition of gratitude? Instead, after the gifts have been opened, we hurry back to the store to return them, hoping for a sale price on some longed-for item, a price now even lower than the pre-Christmas sales. I assessed my Christmas presents of 2007. Most spectacularly, there was a coffee machine that made one cup of coffee at a time. It was my oldest son's gift. As I was taking stock, I considered not just each gift, but the message behind it. This gift was a message that my son had arrived, that he could give me a substantial object, and even give some thought to it. With this gift, he was saying that he knew something about me. That is, I'm a notorious caffeine freak. <laughs> and so, the first of 365 thank you notes was written to my older son. It was January 3rd, about the date most of past New Year's resolutions had been abandoned <laughs> as the bustle of another year of pleadings and motions of bills and billable hours commenced. I was at my law office when I wrote the thank you note to my son, but Grace's note kept me from giving into work pressures before I started on my project. So I wrote, Dear son, thanks so much for the astonishing single cup coffee maker. It's perfect for my office where we can offer everyone a different kind of coffee with every cup. Moreover, I think my staff is a little tired of cleaning up the grounds, and this is a very clean process. Nevertheless, I'm toying with the idea of just keeping it for myself. 
See you soon, <laughs> Dad. Okay, wait, can we just break for a minute? Like, aces on a perfect thank you note. Like, I know, right? The, the form is there. Describes the item, yeah. its potential it starts value. with the clear it's thank sincere. you. sincere. Like, it's excellent. <laughs> and for a coffee maker, probably a Green Mountain Kerrig uh, produced somewhere <laughs> nearby here. Um, but just astounding to me in its simplicity. And that it's yeah. this is the beginning. And you also get a little sense for the the book is written with sort of a spirit of fun also um, yeah. m- makes it an easy read. Do you have another thank you note from it that you'd be willing to read for us? Appendix one is how to write thank you notes. We could return to that at some point. But No, no, no. We know that. We've got that game down. I want to hear the notes. <laughs> so the first random one I found. Thanks so much for running in the triathlon down here and taking the time to renew our friendship. As I mentioned, I've been so blessed to have lasting and wonderful friends. You've really encouraged me to try to get in shape. And maybe next year we can do one together. That's awesome. So at this point, he's running triathlons. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or like, or co-running them with other people or something. But yeah. I love them. Maybe we can train together. You've really inspired me. That's awesome. But it, that's one that goes to show you. So, you know, often on the show, we talk about thank you notes um, being written for favors and for gifts. And here's a thank you note that's being written just simply for friendship. Mm-hmm. That's a the, and and you know whether or not it was a favor that they I, and I don't know the story if they trained together if they did a leg of the triathlon or it was just inspirational to see a friend come to town for something like that. But it sounds like it's really just about the inspiration that it it provided in the author's life, and that I think is really cool. It's it's always something you can do is write a friend a note about how much they mean to you. In a lot of ways, that's that's a note of gratitude. And and spoiler alert the the mechanism the the what the author of this book noticed happening to himself was that he trained his mind to start seeing good things. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. he trained his mind with this sort of daily activity to start to appreciate the good things that were happening around him and cultivating that habit, developing that habit just turned out to be incredibly enriching and to have all kinds of really positive benefits and outcomes. I love the fact that this book gets at a very simple method to really change your perspective and sort of where that inner voice is coming from. I know myself and I know in moments that have been really uh, hard in my life that it's really easy for my brain to live out of a, a space of negativity and lack. And uh, it, it has often been suggested to me to look for gratitude in your life as a combatant towards that and to, to get yourself to that positive brain space again. And it's not that having bad feelings are bad or anything. They're necessary at times. But um, but getting out of the rut of them and uh, just another way that I've seen people do this is to have to think of a different thing to be grateful for each day. So you can't – just the same way our, our, the author here has written a diff- to a different person about something different each time you could you could challenge yourself to at least just have a moment where you think about what you are grateful for each day just one thing and it has to be different each day but that's another kind of good challenge in that direction because after the first couple months you start to have to really think further and what it does is it makes you as you're sort of walking down the street or going about your day you are looking for that thing to be grateful for which is such a a, such a positive brain space to be in absolutely I like that twist, sort of forcing yourself to 
to keep finding something new. So it's not yeah. my house, my family, my this, my that. But no, we're now up to number 20, number 25, number 30. I got to expand. <laughs> and eventually being left with this sort of anticipation of looking for that thing, waiting for that thing, waiting to notice that finding thing. Finding it. Um, yeah. It is a good practice. It's definitely something we're thinking about as we embark on a new year. And I'm not going to promise to write a thank you note every day for 365 days. We said no resolutions. But I'm sort of thinking about and looking for ways to cultivate this practice of gratitude, to draw that that exercise from the holidays, that ritual from the holidays out into the everyday. Well, I am grateful and inspired to hear it. <laughs> Thanks, cuz. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Kaylee. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'd like to send out an etiquette salute to one of my coworkers. This year has been an odd one for all of us, but especially so for those still working in the office. Most of our staff is working remotely, with just a few of us holding down the fort in the building. That said, the holidays haven't been the same. Our holiday party was virtual, and the cheer that usually spreads through our office has been sorely lacking. But my coworker has gone out of her way to do small, kind things for people in the office. She brought in different treats and was always considerate of which holidays we celebrated individually. She has made a Scroogey year more bearable, and I am very grateful to work with someone who cares about others like that. Kaylee. That is so nice. Thank you, Kaylee, for that heartwarming salute. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and if you want to, on social media, too. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show rankings, which helps new listeners find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by the amazing Chris Albertine and assistant produced by the wonderful Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.